Hello. I'd like to begin by saying Merry Christmas. The subject today is the Christmas mystery. I remember many years ago, I was living in a monastery and somebody came and wanted to have asylum in this monastery for a couple of months while he grew a beard because then he was going to come out and declare himself the new Messiah. And of course you can imagine we didn't take him in and we haven't heard of this new Messiah, but beard or no beard, that isn't what would do it. A lot of movies about uh, the life of Jesus have shown a perfectly ordinary actor saying these lines. If you put yourself in the position of the people listening to somebody making some of the claims that Jesus made, you would, you would find it difficult to believe that anyone really would listen. I saw a video recently of the television series Peter and Paul, very interesting. But again, the way that Paul talked, I, don't, I really don't believe that he could have won those Greek, sophisticated Greek audiences with the message that he was giving and with the way in which he was giving it. But all this comes back to the question, how did Jesus, how did Paul win their audiences? Sometimes it was with a, a glance. How could Jesus go into the temple and drive all those money changers out? They were there by fixed, established tradition. They felt they had a right to be there. It wasn't as if they had suddenly usurped it, deciding uh, perhaps on a, on a whim a week before that they'd try it. They'd been there for a lot longer than Jesus was alive. And yet he had the power of conviction the power of something or other that made it possible for them to be driven out and not just rise in en masse, many against one, to drive him out. There is a quality that Jesus showed that was the specialty, the special thing in his life. How could that little baby have won the respect the adoration of all those shepherds, of the wise men, of so many people, that one little form. Obviously, there was something great, much, much greater than just two little baby eyes looking up. And we know what that was. We know that the angels appeared to the shepherds and came to him because of that message. We know that the wise men had seen a message from God that directed them to travel across deserts and great distances to reach this little child and offer their homage. And so we understand that there was some great reality behind the reality of Jesus. And it was from that reality that he lived. This is the mystery of Christmas, that how this one little form could win so many hearts to love, could inspire so many hearts with hope and a higher, a vision of a higher destiny. It was because he represented that higher destiny. He represented that truth, not in the way that a messenger from a king will represent the king because he has a piece of paper saying, I'm a representative of the king, but because he had the consciousness of the infinite. So when we look at Jesus, we make a great mistake in thinking of him just as a human being who was born in that little body and ultimately died on the cross. We have to see Jesus rather as, well, you could say, like a window 
through which the great infinite light shone. And it was that light that won people, not the little personality that people were looking at. It was because he had gotten rid of that human personality and allowed his consciousness to be so centered in the divine that that was the level from which he was talking. I've often felt that Christians would do well to come to the New Testament from reading something of the ancient teachings. Because they hear, uh, they read this one man claiming to be the Son of God, um, because they read this one man saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me, and so on and so on. These phrases that, that uh, the Christian fundamentalists particularly love to continually repeat, they would come to see that he was saying something very different from that little man, I. When he said I, he was referring to that infinite light shining through him. And he had become so identified with that light that that's who he thought of when he said, I. This is our true self. This is what we really are. We all have that light. Jesus didn't come to say, look how great I am. You can't hope to be like me. He came to show us what we can be like. It would have been a pointless message had he come only to talk about himself in that way, like bragging. But if you read some of the other writings of great teachers in other religions, you will see that they too use this, this uh, pronoun, I, meaning it in a very different sense from I, Gautama, I, Jesus, I, Yadava, the Krishna. And it's interesting that uh, Krishna also, it's very close to the word Christ, and both are not names. They are really uh, words for an infinite consciousness, the Christ. Christ means the anointed, the anointed by the infinite. Jesus was Jesus the Christ. We shorten it by saying Jesus Christ, and then we end up thinking that's his name, but it's not so. He was the Christ because he had become one with that. And you will see in the ancient Indian teachings again and again statements, I uh, am the sustainer of the universe. Within me all things are. I am as ancient as the as the as the mountains and much more ancient. And statements that come again and again, not only in India, but in, in all the ancient mystical traditions, you find this pronoun I used in that way. Jesus too used it in that way when he said, before Abraham was, I am. I am means he saw the reality that he lived in was as much now, uh, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, as it was right then. Time for him didn't even exist. It was all the eternal now. Space didn't exist. It was all the eternal present. He was a child of God, consciously, who had come to help us to know, too, how we can become the sons of God. And in fact, that's what it, what it says in the Bible. To all those who, who received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And Christians think that on the one hand they're being humble by saying, oh, I'm much less. And on the other hand, that they're being, uh, they're showing devotion and faith in Jesus by saying he's everything. And on both ends, they cut short the truth that may, would make them true Christians. 
Because I dare say that out of thousands of Christians, there may be one. Out of thousands of Buddhists, there may be one true Buddhist. Out of thousands of Hindus, there may be one true Hindu. There are very few, just here and there. Only the saints really have a right to call themselves Christians, because they don't say merely, I believe. They say, I perceive. I have experienced this. I know. And in fact, a very interesting experience happened. Uh, a friend of mine went to the, to the uh, well-known mystic, the priest uh, who just died not many years ago, Padre Pio in Italy. He was revered even in his lifetime as a great saint. And a friend of mine, an Italian, went to him for uh, confession as he would go to any priest. And in this confession, he told Padre Pio that uh, uh, he practiced yoga. And Padre Pio's reply was not, oh, you mustn't do these things. He said, better not talk about it, but you're doing the right thing. Another interesting thing was, this was an experience that some, uh, a friend of mine had many years ago, he, before he became a friend. He used to go, he was a friend of Padre Pio in the sense of being sort of like a disciple. He went to him frequently. And uh, one day, as he was gain, getting counsel from Padre Pio, Padre Pio said, you should go to SRF. And uh, the man said, well, what's SRF? And Padre Pio said, I don't know. It's just uh, God gave me that name and said, you should go there. I'm just telling you what he said. So this man was really confused and puzzled. And um, years later, he was talking with a friend of his, not many years later. And this friend mentioned that he was a member of something called SRF. And the man said, well, what's that? And he said, well, Self-Realization Fellowship. It was started by Paramahansa Yogananda. And so this man got all excited and he joined the, that organization and uh, took Kriya from me many years later, several years later. Again, I use the word many too, too uh, uh, loosely there. But many years after that, about, oh, 30 years after that, I saw him again in Italy. And that's when he told me this story. And he'd been practicing this technique of Kriya Yoga ever since. Well. I'm not associated now with Self-Realization Fellowship, but I'm still a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. And I have seen that that light that uh, he brought had to be the light of the infinite. It was the light of truth. He never talked from a sense of self. He never talked in terms of I in a human way, except loosely. But when he spoke deeply, it was always with that sense of, of uh, the infinite. One person said to him once, uh, sort of a surprising encounter, he said, when I look at you, I, I only see God there. And you'd think that Yogananda, who was extremely humble, would say, oh no. But instead he said, then behave accordingly. Because that was the consciousness he lived in. He didn't take praise or blame to himself. That was the truth. And what we should see then when we look at the life of Jesus or when we look at the life of any great saint or master, is we should look at God. We should try to see them as windows to the divine. Jesus didn't, uh, um, I mean, love isn't wonderful because Jesus loved. Jesus was wonderful because he loved. Love is the principle. Jesus is the example of that principle. No example, no thing can define in in completeness in totality 
the principle that it represents. It's the infinite love that's the truth of Christianity. It's the infinite joy and compassion of God. And we do our own religion and our own Savior a disservice when we bring him down to such a low level as to think that the infinite could have just a little human being as a son. Jesus' consciousness was infinite. That's how he was able to know uh, things at a distance, how he was able to say that this would happen and it happened, how he was able to know uh, that Lazarus was not dead, even though he'd already been put in his tomb. And uh, the centurion's daughter, the same thing. All these, these stories that we read about show a consciousness that was much greater than just that little uh, little human body. Now, the ultimate mystery of Christmas is not the reality of Jesus, is not the fact that he was that. The ultimate reality is what it does for us. Because if it's just something that happened to him, well, that's just, uh, that's just gossip. That's just, uh, it's a totally vicarious uh, truth for us. But if we can make it real, if we can make this Christmas, something so truly Christmas that his consciousness is born in us, then Christmas will have a true meaning. At our community, at Ananda, we always meditate all day on, usually it's the 23rd, but a day close to the 25th, where we feel this is the spiritual Christmas. This we dedicate to Christ and God. In this day, we try to commune with Jesus and with the Christ consciousness. And on this day, we ask that that consciousness be born also in us. That's what Christmas is all about, Not certainly not getting drunk. And even giving presents is nice only up to a certain point, but it's nice primarily as a symbol of God's love for mankind and God giving the grace to man ultimately to be saved. So. If you want to live this Christmas well, then resolve. It's close to New Year's now. Make your New Year's resolution and make it begin even now at Christmas time. Your new resolution to be to live more in God in the next year. In fact, in this country, we love to experiment, don't we? We're always trying, we're always reading articles and trying to experiment to find what works and what doesn't work. Why not try this next year? to experiment with this truth that I'm talking about. Try to live more in God. Keep his consciousness with you all the time. When you talk to people, feel it as if it were God you were talking to through them. You'll be amazed at how you can bring the best out of them when you see that high potential within them. Try to feel that it's God talking through you, so you're not just talking with your own opinions and personality, but from a level of dignity, from a level of peace, from a level of love and compassion and joy. And you'll find that you can touch even complete strangers. I, I, uh, I've seen that happen again and again with people who are on the spiritual path. I had a very interesting experience that way. Some couple of years ago, I was in New York, and I was buying some electronic equipment for video and camera and stuff like that. And I talked to the people there trying to bring the price down as one does when he buys things that are expensive. And they bargained with me and gave me a very good price, in fact. And, 
um, uh, it's, it was a purely commercial contact, so it seemed. I was so surprised. Later, I happened to meet one of these people in the hallway of the hotel. And he said, you know, meeting you was the most inspiring thing that's ever happened to me. I thought, what are you talking about? We didn't talk about anything but cameras. But you see, when you think, and I was thinking of God, it's a practice of mine all the time. And when I, in thinking of God, that's what they felt. And you can be talking about breakfast or business or anything, but if you have something of that quality within you. I remember one time I had to go and have an interview with somebody uh, on, on the subject of bringing a, bringing a speaker to his college, and he was the president of this college. And so we talked about this, and it was a business kind of talk. Later, as I was driving down the freeway, I remembered his eyes, and all of a sudden I felt so happy. I didn't know anything about him. Later I found out that he was on the spiritual path and he practiced yoga and meditation and in fact had written some well-known books on the subject. Ernest Wood, his name was. But just remembering his eyes and suddenly from that memory I felt something more. You see, we are all instruments for something much greater than we are. Why not let it be instruments for something that's higher? We're not, we're not alone in this world. We're always going to be expressing something more than what we are. But if that can be something infinite, if it can be something inspiring, if we can live in that consciousness, this is the sort of thing that I found with Yogananda. One woman told me she just saw him in a restaurant. She didn't know who he was. And she turned to her husband and she said, that's got to be the most spiritual person I've ever seen. What was it in his presence that emitted that kind of, of a vibration, of influence. The fact that he was living in that consciousness, you can do that. Just don't think I, my, me, mine all the time. Think rather that you are a part of God. Think of him, he will do it, you're not doing it. But if you live in that, that thought, you will find that he will be able to guide your life and the mystery that was Jesus will become the mystery that is you. The true mystery, in fact, is why everyone doesn't go to that, because they don't find fulfillment anywhere else. They're always running around looking for something else. What they don't know is that that's something else that they're all seeking and all longing for and never finding until they look in the right place within themselves. That simple secret is God. When you find him, you find everything. As Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things shall be added unto you, nor be ye doubtful of mind. Joy to you, and Merry Christmas.